This is Paul McGann, the eighth doctor. You're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Go and throw yourself under a bus. I didn't mean to say that. He told me to say that. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 500 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where we've been there and back again, talked about our experiences and impressions along the way, and still have so much to look forward to. I'm Jay. I'm Julie. I'm Kier. And I'm Haley. This week on this anniversary year for the show that brings us together and into your ears, we also celebrate a more personal milestone. As a podcast, GPR has been recording for 11 years now, and while we're appreciative of the time and proud of reaching 500 episodes, it's the program that we're based on that really makes it all possible. Long-running programs succeed because people become enamored with them. And there's something about this show that transcends the experience. It becomes more than just viewing entertainment. On this milestone episode, we pause to reflect on what makes the Doctor Who property, be it the show itself or anything within the fandom that cares so much for it, so valuable in our lives. And when we say our lives, we don't just mean the four of us. We mean the hundreds of listeners, con attendees, show talent, and others whose paths have crossed with ours in this wide-reaching fandom. You know, when when I first got into this uh, this show, I never knew what kind of shape it was going to take in my life. I didn't realize the <laughs> the amount of my life that was going to be dedicated to it. And looking back on it now, it it's hard to pick a, a single reason as to why it stands out among all of the other content that I consume. But I think like one of the main things that has always stood out to me, especially in the age of uh, of you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe and and superheroes galore taking up vast amounts of, of media real estate, is the character of the Doctor being someone that even to this day I I want to grow up and be like. You know, it's it's very easy to to admire. You know, Batman and Spider-Man and Superman who, you know, do all of these amazing things. But at the end of the day, it's, I found a problem. Let me punch it. That didn't fix it. Let Mm -hmm. me punch it harder. The doctor has a different take. And I, I appreciate that so much. And that is the kind of example that I want for myself and for my kids. It's, you know, evaluate the problem, find the best possible solution for everyone involved and, if violence is necessary, it is an absolute last resort. So for me, I think the the value of who is just the lessons that I learn in how to deal with things that are sometimes so far beyond my my purview. It's good insight. It's it's a testament, 
really to to having a title character that somehow that one character and and that persona that that outlook and that drive remains constant even though the actor behind the titular character changes but you can keep that persona at the forefront for 60 years says something um that you know and it probably is a in a certain regard you can you can probably point to like your star treks too for having that sort of that underpinning of of uh respectful exploration and things like that that that's one of the reasons why these two properties in particular seem to have such longevity to them and they have their permutations and and evolutions along the way but with doctor who itself it just it stays so true because it's something that you, that it, as you you've said from a personal basis, Jay, you, you can connect with, and it just it, it feels rewarding for the experience. In addition to my own thoughts on this, we've we've talked to some friends uh, from the fandom who also have something to add uh, to to their value of of Doctor Who, uh, including Ken Deep, the showrunner for Li Who. Um, Kieran Julie actually sat down with Ken to discuss the upcoming convention, uh, Doctor Who Podcast Day. And just his personal thoughts on our anniversary topic. Well, we are taking a few minutes to talk with the founder and showrunner of Long Island Doctor Who, or L.I. Who, which over the years has established itself as, well, Clearly the largest Doctor Who convention in the New York area, and possibly at this point now the eastern United States. So welcome back to GPR, Ken Deep. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, it's it's uh, it, it's it's actually pretty easy to be the largest in the area when you're the only in the area. <laughs> <laughs> nice way to dominate the industry there. Uh, but we, yeah, we... when you say largest, it's it's kind of relative because we, we max out at 500 uh, attendees at our current property, and that's... It's not exactly dominating. It's not your San Diego Comic-Con kind of numbers. Oh, for sure. But it feels all the size that it needs to be. There is something there for everyone across the programming. Uh, there are some staples in the agenda that everybody comes to expect uh, year in, year out. Uh, and some new things handed over all the time. So uh, we've got that. And I, I also think that it, it feels comfortable and like you are welcomed for the size that it is, too. Well, that's that's really the whole mission of it. Um, I, I grew up in a time when conventions were almost exclusively fan run, with the exception of maybe creation. You know, we've been doing it probably since the uh, Taft administration. Um <laughs> You know, they were the only professional outfit back in the day. So so most of the conventions I went to as a kid were were fan run cons. So my, I cut my teeth doing things mostly for like nonprofit cons and fan run cons. And so um, that's something I value. And it's something that while I, I, I'm, I don't want to I, I don't want to say anything derogatory about big, giant professional comic cons. Um, sometimes I read people's posts like, Oh my God, I went to Comic-Con and, and I had the greatest time. And I'm sure they did. But I always, there's part of me that wants to say without being like the old man in the room, be like, well, have you tried like a fan run con yet? Mm-hmm. Because if you thought that was great, wait till you're actually like amongst your people 
and you don't see <laughs> the entire con waiting on a line. Not to mention the sort of the 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 ownership, the 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 duality of the of knowing that you have a little bit of influence uh, over over the the content that's provided, the conversations uh, that emerge from it. Uh, you feel closer to the heart of it. Uh, in a fan run con for for obvious reasons but even as you were saying just keeping keeping the scale at a at a a, a manageable size allows you to know that over the course of a given weekend you've had the opportunity to interact with uh, with all the people that you came there to see probably met a handful of new ones and and didn't feel crushed to the point where you couldn't stop where you were pull to the side of the hallway for a moment and have a 5 minute conversation without being caught in the flow yeah, it's very rare that we have sort of traffic control or line control problems at a convention as small as Li Who. You know, it happens once in a while. There's a few prime times. Saturday early afternoon is you know is your peak time when when people are there. So that's probably the time where we're most challenged. But for the most part, the whole weekend goes by where uh, you know if you have a baby in a stroller or you've got some some you know, a delicate costume, you're not going to get crushed. And um, for me, it's always about the experience. As a fan, I want to go and just have a good time. To to go back on what I said, though, about people having a great time at a big con, any con comes down to, your experience generally comes down to your interaction with your people. And whether those are your friends or new friends or the just the only other people in the world that get you because you're into this weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it always comes down to that. So, so I'm not knocking people who say I had the best time when I went to Comic-Con. No, they, they genuinely did. Probably not because they waited online, probably because on the line, they were hanging out with their friends. Right. Well, so you it's... start with that experience, right? You start with, am I putting people who are going to just have a fun time together in the same room? And that's that's the start of it. I, I've been lucky, and I think places like Gallifrey One and Chicago Tardis and the fan run cons, we get lucky, and where the experience is different is that the guests feel comfortable to interact amongst those people because it's not overwhelming, because they're not um, sequestered behind, you know, in a green room or behind some some giant table with security and stuff it just doesn't happen you know they're, they're right there right and, and i think too that it's because everyone feels like it is close-knit and more i, I would call it it's our nerd family so yeah. they feel comfortable approaching and just giving up i'm such a huge fan i love your work thank you so much for being here moving on which keeps everyone comfortable and happy from both sides of that yeah i mean occasionally you get someone who you know needs to get a little hint that maybe they're, you know, they're, they're encroaching a little too, too closely, but it's very rare. And, and more than 99% of the time they're like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, they just need a gentle nudge. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we all feel that way. You know, when, when you have someone you really admire, you want to be close to them. It's, it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not unusual to feel that way. I, I, I do, you know, if there's someone I admire, (laughs) I want to go meet them. I want to talk to them. I want to, 
be inside their brain for a minute, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, that's uh, that's sort of leading me towards something here uh, as as far as sharing space and having an opportunity to sort of uh, uh, interact in a a little less... um, Time sensitive manner, you know, the the passing in the hallways or the or the the, the rare special moment on an elevator where you get to actually say, <laughs> uh, I was standing next to Katie Manning and she stole my child for for three minutes as we were riding down the elevator. <laughs> or ask us how we know. Um, but in in this particular instance, this year, it's it's gonna take recurring attendees of LI a little while to adjust to a convention in August rather than the 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 normally expected November dates. So how are you and the team approaching a, a summer convention in a, in a different way? Um, sweaty, I guess. <laughs> That's fair, something we're used to being in warm weather. It's um, for the most part, I would say that it's been very positive. The reaction to the attendees has been very positive. You know, there's always a few people that are say, well, you know, I, I liked it in November because and, and fill in the blank. But for the most part, the, the attendees and the crew have been pretty uh, positive about the move. And um, I've had a few of my friends tell me I, I seem more relaxed. And that's really because I don't have the stress of work and, uh, and and college and stuff kind of weighing, you know, right. because that's always a priority. At the same time, how is the convention not a priority? You know, the show must go on. So right, right now, my priority is the convention and, and that that's actually making it kind of fun because even things that are challenges are actually kind of fun. Hmm. You're like, Oh, we got to go do this or we need to fix this or whatever. And, and it's not, Oh God, how am I going to fix? How am I going to fit that in my busy schedule? It's not, it's, it's, it's my only schedule because I'm a teacher and I'm off for the summer. So that's so great to hear with this I, being such yeah. a banner year for the program. How will the convention celebrate the 60th as part of some of the plans that you're making? Well, we, I mean, we celebrate the full scope of Doctor Who every year, I think, but, but this year a little more so we, we have a few quirky things that are going on. Like we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the three doctors. Uh, why? <laughs> yeah. Because we can, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of dimensions and time. Why you ask? Good question, and you'll have to go to the panel to find out. Uh, I, although I think the the host of the panel is showing it in 3D, including <laughs> the class. Um, wow. Th- things like that. We're just having fun because so much effort was put into the 50th anniversary. And while 60 is a huge mark, it, it still is re- relatively close to the, the big effort that was put into the 50th. So we're just celebrating all things Doctor Who because that's just what we do. I mean, you try yeah. to have, you try to represent every era as best you can, and it's not always possible. But you know, if you, I, I think if you look through our schedule, there's something for everyone in there. And then, and then of course, it has the usual amount of wackiness. Like um, this year, there's a huge focus on the Doctor Who USA tour from the mid '80s where um, Keith Barnfather and real-time pictures are coming to um, do some work as part of a documentary for that. And so we've added some panels about that. And, and it's, you know, this is, it's just a curiosity item, but that's what we do really well is take something obscure like that and, and, and put our uh, microscope on it and make it a thing 
We do happen to know quite well how uh, how documentaries based around this particular convention <laughs> tend to do very well. So, yeah. <laughs> and to that, you know, we're making it an annual tradition now that our Friday night midnight madness, or we're calling it almost midnight madness because I think it starts at 11 p.m. We're going to show Doctor Who Am I in perpetuity, provided that we uh, are allowed to uh, every year on the Friday night going forward, because it really is a celebration of everything that we are, uh, you know, uh, uh, being fans in the United States. And, uh, you know, we were honored to have part of the documentary film that L.I. Who. So why not? You know, it's it'll be the new Rocky Horror will come and people will uh. water guns and popcorn or whatever. And. And and read the lines and reenact certain parts. <laughs> I get to put on my, my Matthew Jacobs uh, cosplay. It's going to be fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> so then follow up to that is, is that or what else is the thing that you are most looking forward to for this year? The toughest question because everything is important to me. And, and that, and that, you know, it sounds like it's, um, it's sort of a catch-all answer, but it really is like we we put a lot of effort into every single thing. Um, you know, to what you were saying earlier, a fan run con has, you have influence. I know that you're both participating in things that we're doing all weekend. And, mm-hmm. and that's, um, that wasn't the convention saying, let's go find certain people. We do a call out and people participate. Some people don't want to participate. They want to be passive as an experience. That's fine. And some people want to be proactive and and be part of what we do, and that's also fine. And and we and we try to be inclusive like that. And everybody who's participating feels that their thing is the most important thing on the schedule, and they should. So I think that's a really good question. What thing? Okay, something is happening at this year's Li Who that's never happened in ten years. I'm, I'm known for doing interviews at other conventions, but I never have time at my own. That's why I, I job it out to some very talented people who uh, get up on stage and I know ask questions the way I like to ask questions and, and kind of represent the con in a, in, a, in a fun-loving way. But this will be the first year that I'm ever interviewing a guest on stage to the best of my recollection. And I took a little personal privilege this year and I invited Jan Chapel, who is mostly known for being Callie and Blake seven, mm-hmm. which is not entirely Dr. Who, but there's definitely a lot of crossover appeal quite a bit. And as part of that personal privilege, I said, well, I'm going to be one of the interviewers this year then, because I can think of no one better suited to interview her than me because <laughs> I'm a Blake seven fan. And, and it's just, it just sounds like fun. I, I know, I know that there are other people who can do it. I just know that I, I think I'm going to find out some things about Blake seven that I've probably never heard before, or at least that's my goal for that hour. Well, we will be there to experience that along with you. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) Got got to throw them off. Got to to ask them the questions they are not expecting. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I, my whole point of, of being an interviewer, not only is it the best seat in the house because I'm up on stage uh, and no one's sitting in front of me, but I get I my goal every time I, I sit with someone, even if I've interviewed them a hundred times, is to find something new. Mm-hmm. Find find some new little nugget of information. That as a fan 
uh, as a fan of a show that I've been a fan of for over 40 years, finding a new nugget of information is, is, is a treasure because you think you've heard every story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, the longer you're a fan of something, the harder it is to find that. And that's not just Doctor Who, that's any fandom, especially things that are entrenched, whether it's James Bond or the Beatles or Doctor Who, you know, those are, these are all franchises that are, are over 50 years old to find something new is not easy. And I, and that's my challenge. Well, referencing things that are kind of new new to the fore or things that we can put new into into the hands of a fan base that's been dedicated for as long as they have we're just starting to hear now about a new i guess you can call it a day of observance that's sort of getting underway and it's one that we're personally here embracing for gpr because it's going to be we've chosen it to be the day that we're going to release uh, this 500th episode so if you're listening at the moment congratulations welcome to doctor who podcast day um <laughs> What do you personally know about the emergence of this this new uh, official, unofficial national holiday? Sure. So Dan from the Type 40 podcast had this idea. Uh, it was a while ago. And he actually he emailed me, messaged me, and he said, um, I have an idea for doing a thing called Doctor Who Podcast Day. And I've kind of been inspired by what some of the Star Trek podcasts did, where they, they, they apparently put a, a day together where – they basically drew attention to themselves, made the world known that that there is such a thing, you know, that there um, that there's a community out there of podcasters, and kind of like we have um, we have Doctor Who Comic Day, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. really separate from Free Comic Book Day, right? It's Free Comic Book Day is all comic books, but Doctor Who Comic Book Day is to make the community aware of that there are Doctor Who comics and it's not just Doctor Who comics. There, there are numbers of Doctor Who comics. So it, I thought that was a brilliant idea. I, I really think I, I feel very strongly about any community and, but in particular Doctor Who community, fan communities, and even the sub communities within that. And, and that's, that's actually uh, represented a lot in LI who, where we have meetups for fan groups, in different parts of the Northeast, we have a, an LGBTQ plus meetup. We have a, a, a talk to fans of color uh, meetup. And then this year we're adding um, spouses of Doctor Who fans who just <laughs> come along for fun and who aren't fans. We're going to honor them this year. Well, those are all communities. They're sub communities of, of what we love. Podcasting's the same way. It's a sub community. It's, it's a way that that group of people express their fandom. Some people mm-hmm. knit, some people cook. These group of people express their fandom as you do in podcasting. And I think it's a celebration of that. And what Dan had, the reason Dan had reached out to me was he said, I'd like to make it August 9th, which was the day that the very first Doctor Who pod shop was released, which was hosted by myself and James Norton and Louis Trapani. It was the first Doctor Who podcast. And I was humbled and flattered. And I was like, yeah, that's really cool. Like, he, he was kind of like, so you're not mad? I'm like, mad? Are you kidding me? That's awesome. I'm like, let me know how I can help. Mm-hmm. And although I'm not an active podcaster anymore, I have a, a great deal of love and, and, and actually a great deal of pride to see how enormous and amazing the Doctor Who community is. So I was 100% on board with it. 
And once Dan started moving forward, I had a little fun when I was in London uh, last month. And, uh, you know, I was seeing some some Doctor Who uh, actors while I was in town. And I got them to hold up their signs and take pictures and stuff. And, and I knew that would kind of give it a little bit of credibility. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing Paul McGann in costume holding up a sign and uh, Michael <laughs> Chaston, <laughs> I got him to smile. And I said, that's not the Val Yard. And then he gave me a scowl. I said, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so true. Uh, yeah, we had some fun with it. And I wish that L.I. Who was just a little closer to the date because it would have been great to have it, you know, like on the same day or we're really close to it having so many uh, guests in town that we could have some fun with it, but maybe next year. We'll see. Hey, you'll have to see if, if this whole August thing really pans out for you and you're really feeling a lot, uh, uh, a lot better at the, at the end of the road here. And you think, ah, you know, that work-life balance doing that in August, that's what that, <laughs> we're, we're going to stick with this. You could, by all means, feel free to, you, you've got the, uh, you've got the authority to be able to shove that up a couple of weeks in the calendar. <laughs> well, I think going forward, it will stay in August. Uh, really? You know, Last if we were going to go back to November, it, it started out. It started out because I just wasn't sure if the BBC was going to do anything like they did on the fiftieth, where they would mm. just decide to do an event. And you know, the, the BBC doesn't ask; they just do. And right. had they put their giant event on the date of Eli Who, it would have bankrupted me instantly. Sure. Uh, and there would be no more Eli Who. I thought the safest thing to do would just be move it out of their way. Mm-hmm. And and again, being a teacher and having the summer off, I thought, well, this could be a win-win because I, I'll be able to actually work on it more effectively if I'm not working and, and committed to you know, school at night and stuff. So we tried it. And, 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 then, and then the reaction from the ticket sales and from you know, just people participating has been Overall, it's been positive. Some of the guests are like, yes, we're coming to New York in the summer. The days will be long and they'll be warm. <laughs> Little do they know about the humidity on Long Island, but they'll learn. <laughs> and you know what? The Doctor Who people went to Pensacola back in February where it was hot and humid. And they, they seem to, I guess they, they seem to, uh, to endure that. So they'll be all right. Absolutely. Nobody true. melted, oh, caught for, fire. <laughs> I think for next year, I think it'll probably stay in August. I'm not exactly sure of the date yet, just because. Yeah, that's great. To be determined. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're we're in we're in regardless. You stick it wherever you want in the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> but for us personally, uh, this being uh, the anniversary year, but also being uh, it was we're we're cutting our 500th episode here. You talk about podcasts that have sort of made it part of their. Uh, their zeitgeist. We've decided to to sort of dedicate the majority of of this episode's content towards reflecting on the value of who, and how this odd little British program has had a pretty profound uh, effect on our lives. And now it, it could be for some folks, it's the it's the nature of the show itself, or you know something that it represents. Or for some people, it's a it's a particular character or arc, or even just an episode, something that transcends simply watching television and becomes something much more. So, Ken, I'll I'll ask you directly. Um, what is the value of who to you? You know, that's something I've actually given a lot of thought to because it's so much a part of my life and has been for. I'm 52. I've been a fan for over 40 years. So what's that? Like 80% of my life, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a huge chunk of it. And for an outsider, it might just be like, Oh, what a dork. And they would be right. But for me, it is 
it's given me a worldview and a community and a um, a group of friendships that have been incredible. The, the community is supporting and loving and smart, and I like being a part of that. And my friendships have been great. They've encouraged me to travel and try and do new things, which is what Doctor Who is all about. I, I always say that the show works best when um, the Doctor takes a companion and their life is made better by travel. Now, of course, in storytelling, sometimes you throw your characters a few curveballs. But overall, that's what generally happens, right? You take an average person, they travel, and when they return, they're a better person for that travel. And that's what I've done. I've met people. I've gone places. I've done things that have been outside my comfort zone because I'm a fan. Oh, well, I'll, I'll go fly here or I'll go to a convention here or I'll meet this person and, and, and learn new things. And that's been positive. It's not just Doctor Who that happens with other fandoms. Uh, I'm thinking of Star Trek in particular. Because both franchises have such positive messages and values behind them. And I think people seek positivity and, 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 and sort of optimism. And that's what it represents to me. And yeah, I, I feel really strongly about it. I'm, I, Kat Smith, the performer at L.I. Who and, and, and super fan. She's, she describes herself from time to time as a Doctor Who evangelist. And I, I stole that term because I, I think that I, I think I'm a Doctor Who evangelist. You know, I go out there uh, amongst our people and, and, and be a thing, be into meeting new people and opening my mind and trying new things because that's what the show represents. And I like to live up to those values. That's really well said. It's like more than being just an ambassador for it or an advocate for it. Being an evangelist sort of quantifies you as someone who is there to uh, to introduce people to the the fuller gain from the interaction. And it truly is an interaction. It's not just something that's that's taken in and and observed and processed. It it alters and and it and it it adapts us. Uh, for the better. Well, I, I, I would hope that when people see me as my fandom, because I wear it on my sleeve, I'm literally wearing a T-shirt, Doctor Who T-shirt as we speak. Uh, you know, I was in the bank yesterday and this girl was like, oh, Doctor Who, and she pointed at my shirt. Um, and you sold her a badge. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, but we did break up a conversation and that's the start of it. I represent that in a certain way that to people who get to know me and it's not just like, Oh God, he, you know, look at this guy, but that it's actually, well, wait a minute. So you went to London for two weeks because you're a doctor who fan. Like, yeah, I did. And this is what I did. This is what I learned. And, and I went to see these historic things and all what, you know, whatever it's, if it's, who cares what the motivation is? It got me to go. Mm -hmm. And that's the value in it. Really well put. Well, if you're uh, going to be among the the hundred strong that are joining us uh, in Long Island in just a matter of a few weeks' time, uh, we will we will see you there. And if you do happen to catch Ken uh, jogging, I won't say running. He doesn't break into a full run for these things. He's he's in more control than that. Uh, but if you see him uh, power walking, 
uh, from corridor to corridor and panel room to panel room. Uh, thank him for the experience, uh, Ken, and thank you for for giving us a half hour of your time to to discuss this this weird show. Thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. And uh, and we will we will talk more uh, down the road. I'm sure. Yes, yeah, you at the con. So for me, Doctor Who started as something that was a recommendation from my brother. And he said, hey, watch this show. It's a bit goofy, but I really think you're going to like it. All of these years later, I look back on that and the fact that it has stuck around for so long in my life as well as other people's lives. And I think the thing that matters the most to me is that the doctor is allowed to be who they are for the time that they're going through. And all of these changes, it's something that I adore about a lot of BBC shows and that they are given the ability to swap that main character and Doctor Who takes that to the fullest. And we all go through different parts of our lives where we need a different perspective or we change, we grow. And I think allowing the doctor to do that and to be so many different iterations really allows each of us to connect with different moments in our lives that have such a a history or a reason to connect with this one doctor right now. And then we could rewatch that same episode in five years and now it's completely different and it means something more or deeper. And that connection carries through into our real life when we do things like conventions, this podcast, other things where you can connect about travel, about who we are as human beings, who we are as aliens, and how that is so real and so different for each of us, but still the same and so meaningful. It just brings us all together, always with a new, fresh perspective to discuss, have feelings, opinions, and I just love that that really kind of leads into the whole concept of my doctor, which is never meant to be, this is the better doctor. It's, it's never about which doctor is the best or what it's, which doctor do I most closely relate to? Which one do I identify with? Which one has spoken to me the most that may not be yours. And I completely respect that. And all of them have value, but every doctor being able to go through their own journey allows the audience to recognize themselves in the main character in a way that no other show is able to accomplish. And who your doctor is might change over your lifetime. And I think that's okay too. And (laughs) it's just about love and appreciation for the show. On that note, I also got to talk with some good friends who are frequent Who convention attendees, Emily, Kristen, or Raymani, if you know her like we do, (laughs) and Ian about what makes this show and this fandom so valuable. So, thank you for joining. This is Emily Barker, and just have a couple quick questions for you. Great. Yeah, it's uh, mostly about what is the value of Doctor Who in your life? And kind of specifically, where does it transcend from just a form of television entertainment and take a bigger part in who you are, where you've come from, or um, how it affects your life? Wow, that's a... Big question. I think it's different for everybody, but for me, it 
has been a lifetime lifetime. It's I started watching in the 70s with my mom, who is also a big Doctor Who fan. And when the new doctor came started, the new series started, um, she introduced me to that again, because I didn't realize there had been a new series that had started. But eventually I got involved with the convention scene and it's been changing in so many different ways because I've become part of this family that I feel will last forever, regardless of distance or time, the friendships that I've made. When we're together, it's like we've never been apart. I think that's the biggest thing for me too, is just how much it seems kind of generally encompassing in life. Once you're in, you're in, and it's so welcoming. It is. It's a it's a community and a family that doesn't judge people, doesn't care what your religion is, your sexuality, your race, anything. It's just this love that respects each other. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you. Hi, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Raimani. Not Kristen, a problem, not a problem. For those of you who... <laughs> yeah, I, have, I go by multiple names. It's fine. Yeah. So what we're asking today is, what is the value of who in your life? I think for me, a lot of what who has brought me is is friendships and adventures, because we've taken a lot of adventures around who. I mean, we went to Wales. We went to the Doctor Who experience. We... We got to see places that they filmed. And while specifically the GPR crew, I didn't meet because of who, I have met other friends because of who, whether it's at the conventions or um, at, at conventions or cosplaying or doing all of those things outside of just the show itself. Yeah, that's really great. And one thing I was wondering if you'd be able to speak to is, I know you're a fan of a lot of other fandoms mm -hmm. and you've got a lot of friends through that, as you kind of just mentioned. So what makes who different, if at all, from how some of those other either conventions or fandoms or fan bases and the friends you've made feel like Doctor Who is more important or how different? Hmm. That's a good question. Um I would say it's the same, but different. And what I mean by that is like, while it is another fandom that I met friends through, I think with who it's, a, it's in a way somewhat broader because it is a more international group of people than the other fandoms that I'm a part of. Um, it's, it's, it's more global in nature as opposed to, um, a, just a sci-fi type show. Most of my other fandoms are sci-fi or fantasy, um, but not all. But I think it, while it's the same because it's still a sci-fi show, it's, it's again, more international, more hopeful in a lot of ways. Other sci-fi shows tend to, at least the ones that I watch, tend to be a little more post-apocalyptic slash post there isn't that hope 
that I think who brings into the 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 world of sci-fi and that we can all maybe be a better world than we have our own world today is if that makes sense definitely makes sense i think i think i heard recently kier say something like is it's not just lasers in the dark or no. it's not just battles it's something more something bigger and, and it brings in it more and bigger but it also brings in you've got the historicals you've got the science you've got the the fiction you've got it's not just one thing it's a lot more it's it's a lot broader than that in that sense it's it's you know yeah they have their romps and they go about space and they're on new new earth but there's also you know the rosa park story and the other historic events that escapes me at the moment but <laughs> there have been many and there because it's so creative and so much around the time travel you can get that and really feel like it's telling their story and not just yep yeah romps in space because aliens it's because aliens and i mean you know a lot of my favorite stories aren't necessarily alien based granted i came into who backwards but that's a different story <laughs> Well, safe to say that Doctor Who plays an important role in your life, and yes. we thank you for being here today and for your oh, time. That'd be fun. Can't wait to hear it. Hi, uh, we're here with Ian McCann. Thank you so much for joining me, Ian. Uh, hi. Uh, firstly, congratulations, guys, on 500 episodes. What a what a great commitment to bringing positivity to the fandom. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. We put a lot of effort into that, and it's great to hear when it's noticed and also that you enjoy what we are spending so much time doing. Yeah, uh, it's it's great week in and week out. I mean, it's it's not easy putting out 500 episodes of a podcast. Let me, let me tell you. I mean, some people can't manage to get one out, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think... Uh, you know, I don't know if we any of us knew we'd get up to this many, but we'll we'll keep going. <laughs> so, as part of this, we are trying to gather some just general information. So, wanted to ask you a quick question: What is the value of who in your life? So, a little more specifically, where does it transcend just a form of television entertainment and make a larger part of who you are, or where you've come from, or where you're headed? It's been a part of my life since i mean small since being a small child really you know so it's always kind of been there as a constant in terms of as an entertainment but when you look at the principles of what the show it's a very humanist show it's very much about curiosity and kindness and people and you know just being part of the community you know it's very kind of peaceful. And so I think that's a great thing to take away from the show. And I mean, yes, it's an entertainment and there's, you know, obviously monsters. And but you look deep down, it's for a show about an alien. It's very much more about being a human and how you kind of navigate yourself in this big universe we have of ourselves. Yeah, definitely agreed. And would you say that it's something that has changed or encouraged different things in your life as you've grown with the show? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think joining uh, fandom, for one, was really a big thing. Before I was really more into fandom, 
I was kind of a person who didn't do a lot of things. And my uh, my brother, unfortunately, passed away um, about, I don't know, almost 20 years ago or so. And I kind of had, a, I say, like a young midlife crisis of sorts. <laughs> and I decided, you know what, I'm going to finally go to conventions and do stuff like that and have fun and go out. And ever since, it's been kind of a, a, a thrill ride in a way. I mean, meeting so many nice people, who've become friends, dare say even like family. Uh, it's a cliche. I know it's a cliche, but the Doctor Who family thing is is really a, a big deal. And I've got to go to places and do so many extraordinary things. It's been really a great conduit. So many um, wonderful people and experiences in my life. Yeah, I hear you so much on that. And I definitely think that you're a wonderful part of the family. And uh, look forward every convention that we both go to always to getting a big hug and saying hello. I know it's always it's always a smile and a rush like, all right, we got to go run off and do something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. So busy and yet so uh, important for all of that kind of stuff, for sure. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Really appreciate you taking the time and we'll see you soon. Yeah, absolutely. See you guys in the next 500. Everything encompassing Doctor Who has been somewhere within arm's reach for the vast majority of my life in some capacity. Whether it began as just the casual viewing as a kid to uh, going through the wilderness years uh, and having to occasionally come across a, a used Target novel um, on a, you know, a, a dusty bookshelf or something of that sort, and think and thinking to myself, "Oh yeah, that's uh, that's that show. Boy, I wonder if that show is ever gonna ever gonna be brought back around again, or I wonder if anybody still remembers it." And then the resurgence in the aughts uh, uh, and everything that came along with that—that that not only gave me. Uh, renewed enthusiasm for the property, but also the opportunity to, to, to embrace from the, from the earliest points, the, the fan community that grows around it. You know, every fandom has its, uh, has its base that, that considers itself sort of a found family to a certain regard. And when you've got a show that runs as long as this one does, that family gets quite large um, and spans generations. It becomes almost in some instances, and I, I've watched this happen, where we're making it happen in our household, where it becomes an heirloom. You know, you, you pass the appreciation of this show down or in cases up to generations, you know, I know a lot of people who have introduced their parents or grandparents, and they said, Oh, yeah, I remember something about that show back from the 70s. No, it's back. And it's great. And you'd enjoy it too, grandma, or, you know, Uncle Giuseppe, or whoever it is. And it it has that, that ability to, it's, it's an ability to be able to move beyond as as we were saying earlier, transcending beyond a source of entertainment and becoming something that is a 
almost a defining characteristic. Whovians have a tendency of, well, in many cases, literally, wearing their fandom on their sleeves. And while that's not unheard of with other fandoms, I think something about, to, Jay, to your point, about the the spirit and the, the zeitgeist of this particular show and the idea of the kindness at its core and the utilization and embracing of intellect over impact that, if anything, has only gotten more highlighted and, and more prevalent uh, in recent decades, so that it is, it's almost a sanctuary for people who are looking for something that challenges them at an uh, at an intellectual level at times, gives them an emotional hook, the many emotional hooks um, that they can hold on to and, and find personal connection with. But at the same time, it's a respite at moments from something that is strictly uh, a brawl or, or you know, uh, uh, lasers in the, in the inky blackness of space, that, that there are plenty of sources for that sort of thing. There are far fewer sources of something that takes a, uh, a kinder approach, uh, a quizzical uh, approach, something that is trying to, um, trying to grow in understanding rather than in empire. And that's pretty, uh, pretty extraordinary. Um, it has gained me a family on multiple levels, found family, nuclear family. You know, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's not slowing down. Um, we're, we're right in stride with it right now. Earlier in the week, I was able to actually talk independently with a couple of friends who share a lot of our love for the fandom and everyone in it. Uh, and that's Drew Meyer and Jeremy Raddick. Uh, if you remember, um, both have been previous guests. Uh, in both cases, you can see how much, like uh, like our other conversations we've, we've heard uh, up to this point, their take on the value of who definitely comes from a very deeply personal place. Well, he is the co-creator and host of Who and Company, co-creator and host of the Never Say Die cast. Uh, he is the co-creator and host of probably more podcasts than me. Uh, but all around, he is your favorite DM, Drew Meyer. Drew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really good, Kier. That's, uh It's really nice to see your face. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person, giving you a hug in a couple of weeks. Very, very true. Yeah, and, and actual physical contact. Hugs are back on the menu, boys. So that's always <laughs> a nice thing, too. Um, we talked a little bit offline about how we are, uh, we at, uh, on the GPR side of things, are focusing on the value of who for our mm. 500th episode and during this 60th anniversary year. So given that kind of a, that framing, in your heart of hearts, what would you consider to be the value of who as an entity? I just want to step back for a second to say congratulations on 500 episodes. Yeah, they haven't shut us down yet. That's, That's really nice. impressive. Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, listen, this conversation that you and I are having right here, this is the value of who. Um, I wouldn't have met you without Doctor Who. I wouldn't have met probably quite a few of your listeners who I, I have met it either on social media or through conventions. I mean, that's 
the thing that I love so much about this fandom in general. The show itself engenders a kind of fandom that, yeah, sure, we can complain about you know our favorite program, but considering that it's been on for 60 years, it's got such a wide range of ages and generations that have come into it. Uh, and a wide range of just different life experiences that it's created a community that of people that I genuinely would have been friends with outside of that fandom. But it's really nice that it sort of attracts those people. Anyway, mm. uh, I, some of my dearest friends in life are are th- ones that I've met through Doctor Who, through the community, through podcasting, through conventions, and that's only been going on for me for a, since two thousand and five. So. Um, it's a profoundly life-changing experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, just just the yeah, just the community, really, more than anything else. You touched on it. It's kind of the the nature of the community that forms around a program with these underpinnings. Um, to take nothing away from the from the variety or the multiple points of entry that a show that has run this long or has sort of redefined itself as many times as it has, it provides for a lot of, a lot of inroads to, to become enamored with the content, but then the individuals who really start to associate with themselves, uh, associate themselves with it either as ambassadors or, or just, uh, um, wear your heart on your sleeve advocates for the program have a certain, zeitgeist about them that I think the show creates or cultivates. And maybe that adds something to the approachability of the community itself. It's, oh, no, come in. Rather than a, well, I know we've dealt with uh, certain aspects of gatekeeping or or true fandom uh, banner hoisting, but it always seems to get pushed out rather quickly from those who point back at the fact that the show is about redefining yourself and not being afraid to evolve. So maybe that lends itself to the approachability and and acceptance of the of the community writ large. Yeah, I mean this is nothing against any other fandom. All fandoms have, you know, a, a tight-knit community. People who love something like spending time with other people who love something. But I think something like Doctor Who that is about change and acceptance and it has a central character who is more interested in intelligence and the joy of discovery and exploration. There's certain aspects of Star Trek to that, but at the same time, it's such a vastly different show. And the other thing too is because it is an international program, because you know here we are recording in the United States, because it is an international program and it has reached so many people in so many countries, um, they get to bring those experience in this as well. So all that being said, it's something that I feel like I, as the show grows, I grow with it. And as it expands, so does that community. And so does that experience that they bring to those personal interactions, which I, I love. I think we're, we're mentioning Eli who, uh, which is coming up on our calendars. And by the time this drops on uh, Doctor Who podcast day, we'll be within about a week of the, uh, uh, the arrival of, of, of that event. Uh, oddly placed in August, uh, but we did uh, we did talk just last week to to Ken about that and and how pleased he is with how that's all pulling together. I think that was our first uh, our first point of face to face was the second year of Li yeah. Memory Serves. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, that was my first Doctor Who convention was Li Who Two, and um, that I mean the convention that sort of 
redirected my life for the next 10 years. So mm. the people who I'm, it's amazing how many people I met for the first time at that convention who have been consistent in my life since that year. And I, I don't even remember what year that was. 2000, was it 2013, 2014? I think it was four, 14. 14. It's either thir- 13 or 14, because I think the the panel uh, that you're going to be moderating that, uh, that Julie and I will be sitting in on with you on Saturday evening is talking about the 10 years of right, yeah, that's correct. So, hmm. Funny how the time goes by. It really is. And there's a lot of really good panels. I'm really excited. You mentioned uh, one of my podcasts, Two and Company. We're going to be doing our second live show in, in its eight-year history. We're going to be on stage talking with Michael Troughton uh, about. Can I spoil what it is? We're going to be talking about Blackadder. So, I mean, it, you know, it's it's a uh-huh. a great guest with a great convention with a talking about a great show, and then, of course, in addition to his life experiences in Doctor Who. So, <laughs> you know, we're looking forward to that. And I haven't done a lot of panels in the last couple of years. I've kind of taken a step back, but now uh-huh. I'm on like eight of them, uh, moderating <laughs> half of those, and so that's an aspect of of the convention culture that I haven't done in a little bit. And I'm you mentioned that it's roughly a week away and suddenly i'm feeling that anxiety again which is great it's it's, <laughs> a, it's a happy anxiety no no it's a happy anxiety um there's just a lot of preparation to do because you, you know unlike a lot of things you can't just you know stand in front of the mic and and do it <laughs> so this show am i right right eh, yeah <laughs> it's okay well. Well, we will uh, let you get back to your prep work. I guess I'm sure that's uh, that's what you love to love to do on a Sunday afternoon. Um, but Drew, thank you for spending a couple minutes with us, and uh, and we really really look forward to seeing you again face to face in a couple of weeks. All right, buddy. I'll see you soon. We have been speaking to a number of uh, Whovian friends, past, present. Hopefully, we'll speak to some in the future, too, uh, as we are celebrating our 500th episode and this 60th anniversary year for the show proper. And we've got an opportunity to speak with someone who we met through the Whovian fandom uh, and has become near and dear to our hearts. Jeremy Raddick, welcome back to GPR. Thanks, Kier. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on 500, man. That's incredible. Thank you very much. Uh, we've been, we've been. Uh, I would say blessed, but it's been too much work to feel that there's divine yeah. intervention. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we have been, as I as I mentioned to you earlier, sort of having some conversations with folks about the value of who, and specifically, kind of how this program and everything around it, the the community, the the zeitgeist of it, has uh, has some impact on our lives that that moves beyond uh, an entertainment form and into something that means far more. So to you, uh, you've got a kind of a unique take on this. What is the value of who to Jeremy Raddick? Well, I mean, the value of who to me is is twofold. The first is that, um, you know, as a as an actor, one of the things that you always hope that you're going to be part of in some way is something that that lives on. There's so much stuff that you do as an actor, whether it's stage or, you know, that TV show that only lasted eight weeks or whatever, um, you know, that that just kind of comes and goes and, and disappears forever. And I've been lucky enough to be part of a couple of things, but the most enduring has been Doctor Who. Um, and it's it's nice to know that, you know, there's something that you've been part of that people are going to watch and enjoy across different generations. So that's from a professional point of view, that's always great. 
and fun and something that I don't take for granted. It's it's very special. But the other more personal thing is just that through this show and and my very small part in it, I've made a tremendous amount of great friends that are like like yourself and Julie and and you know your other co-hosts on the show and Haley and and other people that have come to become really really important to me. Not just people who were in the show, which is as a lifelong fan, like being able to count some of these people as friends is kind of surreal. Um, but you know, people who are fans just like me, uh, that I've become friends with and that I've gotten to spend time with both inside and outside of the, the who family circuit, you know, of conventions. And so that's really, really special. You know, the idea that there's people that you see a couple of times a year that you get to spend a really intense time with. And I bet other people are going to say the same things, but like, we don't really talk about Dr. Who that much when we're together. We talk about all sorts of other things. We talk about our lives and we, you know, we, we just have our own inside jokes and we have our own fun times. And, you know, we get to do, um, we get to do things that really, I think, bring value to each other's lives in terms of, of a friendship that can go on for many, many years. I've been doing conventions since about 2015. Um, so it's a long time now, not as long as some people have been going, but like, it's been just incredibly moving and important to me to, to see how welcoming and how inclusive and how warm, uh, both the fans are and the people that, that participate, um, from the Whovian sort of production family. Um, and it's just, yeah, I think it just. You know, it's it's always fun to see people who have never done it before. Like I remember when some um I can't remember Courtney, I think, who played the the girl who played Courtney in the Peter Capaldi era. Like I was at her first con and she was kind of blown away by like how great everybody is. And it it made her relax and made her much more excited. So I mean, I think that spirit of Doctor Who it is really something special. And that's sort of what I've been uh the most blown away by more than anything else is just a whole new family of friends uh that i've gotten and gotten to know so yeah so in a way it's the something about the inherent nature of the program itself uh and what it what it represents and what it presents may have some bearing on those who are uh, an intrinsic part of creating it which then sort of uh, gives that energy forward to us on the other side of the screen who are the appreciators of it and they they want to perpetuate that so in in your con interactions you've got folks who are coming to the table or or coming to you uh, post panel or something of that sort that have that that presence of mind that they are still they are within that universe at the moment so everyone that they're approaching has that positivity and that um that embrace and and that inclusiveness as part of their inherent nature because they must because they're they're a part of the show and and that's the that's the energy they're projecting forward and it i think yeah. it it reciprocates it just becomes a sort of an echo chamber of positivity within yeah it's also true too like i often think about fandoms that are multi-generational so you know one of the things that's really unique about doctor who to me anyways is unlike star wars or even star trek it the classic series was such a little cottage do-it-yourself you know type of show and so like you got people that there are actors that that are very familiar or performers or writers that are very familiar to doctor who fans and certainly to fans of, of british television but they aren't 
famous, but at the same time, you know, meeting them for a fan of our generation is exciting. And then when the show came back, you know, all of a sudden you had people who loved the classic series now making the new series, right? And so they have a unique position because they've been on both sides of the fence, right? And the idea that they were at Longleat in 1983 or they were, you know, doing some convention in, you know, Croydon or something like that, you know, I mean, and they met Bernard Kay or something, you know, and it's just like, you know, and and it, it just they remember that feeling. And so there's not as much standoffishness that sometimes I think professionals coming into a fan circuit are kind of like, you know, they've all heard the jokes and the stories about, you know, nerds and stuff like that. And it's a way different now than it ever has been before. And I think it's because we've got multi-generations of fans and a lot of those fans have become professionals and and they aren't you know that that creates a bond right so yeah it's it's an incredible thing and i think also as well like the doctor who community mixes way more too so i i have never seen it at cons like this where you know at the bar or in the lobby like you know where people who are part of the the performance or production side are as participating in the lobby cons as anybody else and get you know just as much enjoyment from it so yeah i think it's it is a unique and and also i would say is to to your point as well like there's something about doctor who being inherently about trying new things going new places having new experiences you know diving in without a guidebook um there's something about that spirit that makes people in the fandom be so much more open to you know being inclusive and being welcoming and being warm so yeah i've I've noticed that too i think that that those are both really good points of yours so it's true excellent well it's it has uh it has a lot of legs still under it you know this is 60 years for the program and it does if if any of the uh the excitement levels that that uh that are pouring out of our social media feeds or any indicator we are in for yet another resurgence uh, of fandom and, and energy and to to your point about the those who are uh, originally uh, fans and viewers of the program then getting to a point where they have some say in the creative process and uh, are starting to gain their voice from the writing and editing and, and direction of the program as well that's something that now I think as where we're headed, that is, that is, if anything, it is increasing in pace. So yeah. it's going to mean that we have an even farther reach for this positivity and welcome into a fandom that continually redefines itself. So yeah, 60 years more, I'm in for it. I, me too. I mean, it's so exciting. And it's just like, just proof that like, you know, the show can go through some tough times here and there. It can go through some peaks and some valleys, but um, it's endlessly, I mean, this is terrible. So I, I apologize to all your <laughs> listeners, but it, it endlessly regenerates, right? I mean, that's fair. That's the, I mean, that's the beauty of that decision to, to replace William Hartnell with someone totally different from him and choose Patrick Troughton. It gave this show life that will live forever. So, and that means new generations constantly coming in. There's going to be somebody who's going to watch. Shudi Gatwa, and it's going to be their first episode ever, and that's always exciting. So it really will be. I'm, and we're, I'm here, we're, for we're here for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, that's a perfect button for us. So, uh, Jeremy, uh, thank you 
as always, not only for uh, for your time today uh, and having this conversation, but but just thanks for uh, thanks for banging around with us for a couple of years here. And uh, you know, I got to say, Kira, you guys were the first podcast to ever have me on, to ever interview me. When I first went to like, I think my first convention in Long Island, who is a guest. So um, you guys are sort of the original friends I made, you know, way back then. So I always appreciate it. And here's uh, 500 more. So keep going strong. Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Um, so for me, I my Doctor Who journey started in Arkansas when I was going to college. Um, so my experience of it, I feel like has grown and changed as the show grows and changes. We've talked about it before. A show about regeneration is always going to inherently be about change and a big part of my life. I've, I've had like a lot of major life changes as, as the course of the show has gone on. Um, a lot of relocations, which, you know, requires you to find that new found family, creating that new space fam uh, as you come into new spaces. And the doctor has always done that, you know, as the doctor grows and changes, bringing new people into their lives that are going to fit where they are at that time, which I think has always been a beautiful thing about the show is finding the people that you need when you need them. And some of them are not going to go on with you. um, And some of them are going to go on with you. And always be people that you can return to even when you're not in the same spaces anymore. They're always uh, an important part of your life. And Doctor Who as a show has that internally and has created a community that also has that. You know, we we all go to our Mecca of Galley One uh, every year that we can to to be among that found family. But there's a larger community out in the world that this show has brought together and I, that's a big part of the reason why all of us are here talking today is the family and community that the show creates. And I also just love the way that it's brought a lot of different voices into the show as it has grown and changed over time. You know, e- even um, especially, I feel like, during jo- Jody's tenure as the Doctor, we got to see a lot of different voices in, in the script writing, in the direction of the show. And... Just that growth and change that we always see always keeps it relevant to the times that we're in. And hopefully continuing forward. We have every indication that it's going to continue to uh, evolve and adapt and and allow more opportunities for those voices and that representation on both sides of the screen and all sides of the creation process. So it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, so friends and listeners also sent in thoughts on this value topic, including longtime listener Matt Fleming who wrote, This show, GPR, has been a constant part of my life since around 2015. I was going through a rough patch at the time, listening to a show about a show I absolutely adore, made my days better. I'd put the cast on as I drove my injured self to school at 35. The show has brought me many smiles, laughs, shouts at the radio, and frustration. When you make me pick between River and Wolf, for example. We, we knew that was going to be a, a painful yeah. one for folks. Yeah, it, it is frustrating. True. It's frustrating for us. That's why we wanted to make it frustrating for you too. Yeah, we we <laughs> went through it first so that you could help. 
Yeah. We had to do it and come up with the reasons. You can just use our reasons. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, uh, we are pretty much decided at this point, based on uh, write-in votes from the listeners, that Wilf will be advancing to the finals on that. I was surprised, but there were were explanations and rationales provided with every vote that was cast, along with cursing our names. So, (laughs) job done. Here made us do it. And and we'll have to go over that on an episode that is dedicated to it. But we will, yeah. thank you, everyone, for yes, your input. Yeah. Thank you, as always, for all the listener input. It's always valuable. Uh, we also got to hear from podcast buddy Taylor from over on Podcastica. Hey, GBR crew, it is Taylor here from Podcastica. How are y'all doing? Congratulations on 500 episodes. That's amazing. That's such a, such a landmark, uh, for you guys to have all made. That's fantastic. Um, so to answer the question of the value of who in, in my life, I see, I started watching the show in the summer of 1986. Um, I wasn't even 10 yet. And I, I don't know, I never got into like superheroes. I was never big into like X-Men or DC or Marvel or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, every summer evening at 7pm getting home uh, from whatever I was doing that day, going out and playing with friends or whatever, and coming in and watching Doctor Who and watching um, this kind of crazy, <laughs> crazy madman, uh, run around and save the universe and defeat these monsters and everything. He really was kind of my superhero. Um, and it wasn't just brute force and it wasn't weaponry and it wasn't anything like that. It was intellect. Um, and it was wit and it was, uh, uh, using your brains to, get out of situations. And so very quickly for me, um, Dr. Who kind of transcended just being entertainment and quickly became a situation where I looked up to the doctor. I looked up to, um, this character and, and what he would try to do, um, to save the day and to outwit, enemies and bullies and stuff like that. So that's something that I've always kind of carried with me throughout the decades of enjoying the show since then. Um, yeah, there you go. That is the value of, of who to me. Uh, and once again, congratulations, you guys, 500 episodes. Here's to another 500. Thanks so much. A milestone episode in an anniversary year, but so very much more on the horizon. Here's to 500, and thanks to all of you for tuning in for the adventure. Next time we come back in uh, in two weeks, uh, we're going to be going over our recap from LI Who 60. 
Julie and I are going to be kind of busy. <laughs> um, there's a lot happening uh, in Long Island this August. As you heard from Ken uh, in his conversation, it is a very full docket. Um, it is the shape of things to come, perhaps, based on how happy he was with how rested he feels, <laughs> saying being able to do this stuff in the uh, in the off months for a, for a college professor. So we do have the announcement that next year is in August as well. Yes. Yes. So uh, we will uh, plan accordingly for for 2024's outing, which I believe is called Elihu Plus, because everything these days is plus. <laughs> Disney Plus and Paramount Plus and Elihu Plus. Very clever. You're nice going to have to redact that. <laughs> I, I, um, I spelled it with a Z, so it's not actually the same. <laughs> Disney. But come find us if you can. We'd love to see you. Mm -hmm. We're very excited. Yeah, we'll be on a number of panels. We'll be doing the Mickey Lewis interview uh, as well. Uh, I believe we're going to be recording that one as well. So I think we have a special dispensation to be able to release that interview um, along with hopefully talking with some of the talent on the moments in between. So well, this has been episode 500 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying... I was surprised when we made it to episode five. The fact that we are sitting here, I, I can't thank you all enough. And this is Kier saying, you're welcome, Jay. <laughs> this is Julie saying, bear, 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 bear. <laughs> Doctor Who is live. <laughs> and this is Haley saying, I can't wait to hear how awesome L.I. Who was. <laughs> we'll see you next time. I'm Ozzy. 500 cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR. And you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime. Otherwise, nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time. A milestone episode in an anniversary year, but so... <laughs> Sorry. That's your dog, Jay? No, that's not mine. That's Selena's dog. Oh, Wait, sheebies. why are we adding more dogs to this There's mix? no more dogs. <laughs> Wait a minute. Every time I turn around, there's more dogs involved. We're supposed to pick up listeners, not dogs. <laughs> Dog listeners, maybe. Clearly, we know our demographic now. <laughs> we are recording at a frequency that is huge with the canine fan base. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>